Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Mental Golf Show. As always, I'm your host, Josh Nichols. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about your pre-shot routine. What is it? What makes a good one? And why it's essential to helping you play better. All right, let's get right into it. You're on the last green of the tournament. You looked at the leaderboard, so you know what you have to do. You need to make this putt for birdie to get into a playoff. Only 20 feet of putting surface stand between you and what you want. But, just like what most of us would do in this moment, you can't stop thinking about how important this putt would be. How cool it would be to make this 20-footer and go into a playoff. You've never won a tournament this big before, and you finally have this opportunity. You're so nervous, you don't know how to act. You might try to go through your mental pre-shot routine, but you can't seem to slow down. You try to get a good idea of, of the read of the putt, but you can't stop thinking about the importance of this putt. You get behind the putt and attempt to slow yourself down with some breathing, and then you step into the putt. You make a couple of practice strokes, and now it's time to pull the trigger. Just before taking it back, you have a fleeting thought, don't leave it short, because you know you have to give it a chance. It can't go in if you don't get it there. You have the right line, but the putt slides by on the high side. It was carrying just a little too much pace. You feel okay because you gave it a good attempt. You didn't leave it short after all. You tap in and you take your spot in second place. What's the problem with this scenario? What's the problem with scenarios that are similar to this? It isn't particularly glaring, but there are things we can learn from this particular scenario. You may not have been in the position to win a tournament before, but I'm willing to bet we've all had shots or putts of consequence that got in our heads just enough to throw us off. The problem with this specific scenario, and can be applied to many more other scenarios, is that the player was taking thinking too much about the result and not enough about the process. Yes, we all could have guessed that. If you've listened to this podcast in the past, you've probably heard me talk about process over result. But what this manifested as was their pre-shot routine being different than normal and ultimately leading to that one fleeting thought that caused the result to go awry. We can all identify with this. Even though you haven't had a chance to maybe haven't had a chance to win a tournament before, you may have had a putt to break 90, 80, or 70 for the first time. You have a shot uh, to clear a penalty area, a forced carry. You have a drive on a tight hole. These scenarios all demand something of us that we're not always prepared for. So how can we step up in these times and hit shots like they're normal? The pre-shot routine is an interesting thing. We think of it as this sacred time before hitting a shot that must be perfectly consistent and never waver and have perfect thinking throughout. If we can just have a good pre-shot routine, we can hit good shots. So we try to implement what we see the pros doing. Okay, they get their yardage book and they they get their yardage and they look at their yardage book. They talk it through with their caddy, they grab their club, make a couple practice swings, line it up, and step into the ball. Maybe a couple waggles, a couple looks, and then they pull the trigger. Okay, we can do that. We can have that same pre-shot routine. If it works for the pros, then it'll work for us. 
So you try it for a while, only to realize that all that is changing is your physical movements. Nothing is changing internally. You still have those same negative thoughts or those thoughts of where you don't want the ball to go or those thoughts about what this shot means for your total score. If the pre-shot routine that the pros use doesn't work, then what could? Well, let's figure it out together. Let's, Let's work our way through it. In my experience of playing competitive golf for about 18 years and what I've learned from reading and listening and watching golf over the years and learning, reading different books and and different things, every pre-shot routine doesn't necessarily need to be physically consistent, but it definitely needs to be mentally consistent. But for those that are yelling at their phone, no, 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 it needs to be consistent. You could put a a stopwatch on a pro's physical routine and it's always going to be the same. But what you'll find is that by having a consistent mental pre-shot routine, your physical pre-shot routine ends up being consistent. So we have to first get the mental part right, and then the physical part will follow closely behind it. So, with that being said, let's go through what a good mental pre-shot routine looks like. Every good mental pre-shot routine has in some form these five steps. One, pick your target. Two, commit to that target. Three, trust in your ability to hit to that target. Four, let it go with a quiet mind. And five, finally, accept the results with zero judgment of yourself. Those five steps are going to give you the best opportunity to hit a good shot. As we know, the purpose of a good mental game is to give your physical game the best opportunity to show. So having a good mental pre-shot routine is the most tangible version of that. So I mentioned how having a consistent mental pre-shot routine can lead to having a a consistent physical pre-shot routine, but how? If you are going through each of these mental steps, the physical steps will follow suit. Let's go through a real pre-shot routine to show how. You hit your tee shot into the fairway on the first hole. You arrive at your ball, and as you're arriving, you are already at work in your mind, picking out your target. You are gathering the necessary info to choose a good target. For some, that's pulling out the yardage book and pacing off the yardage. For others, it's getting the lay of the land and grabbing the rangefinder. So you shoot the yardage, it's 168. You know that's not enough info to base your club choice off of, so you also take account of the wind you decide it's about three yards of hurting wind. You keep a running tally of the yardage in your mind, so that makes the total yardage at 171. It was 168, the, the yardage that you shot with the rangefinder, three yards of hurting wind, the total yardage is 171. Now, what's the slope? You decide that it's about two yards uphill. The total is now 173. It's November, so it's not as warm as it always is, and you probably don't hit your clubs as far as normal, and it's the first hole, and you usually take a few holes to get to where you're warmed up enough to be hitting your clubs full length. So you decide that these factors add 5 yards. The total is now 178. What are the green surfaces like? Like we said, it's November, which means the greens are usually pretty firm this time of year. There's not always as much rain in the fall. 
and from 178, your club usually releases a little bit. So you decide you need to land at seven yards short of the hole to let it get as close as possible. That makes the total 171. You've now got your yardage. Now you need to decide where to aim. The pin is four yards from the left edge. You typically hit a five yard fade from 171. And you know from the data you've been gathering from your past shots that, you, that your average proximity from 171 is about 38 feet. For context, a PGA Tour player's average proximity from 170 is 30 feet 5 inches. So you know that wherever you aim, it could end up 38 feet from that point, because that's your average. That could be right, left, short, or long. It's a giant circle that is six, 76 feet in diameter, I think is the right ge ge geometrical term. Geometry? <laughs> We're learning, learning geometry today on the Mental Golf Show. So you know that it could end up 38 feet from your aim point, right, left, short, or long, because that's your average. So you have to aim for that. 38 feet is about 13 yards. So you know you can't aim at the flag, because a very normal shot could end up 13 yards left of a flag that's only 4 yards off the edge of the green. This would probably be a bad miss because it would lead to a short-sided chip or a bunker shot, which means an almost certain bogey. So you have to aim for 13 yards left, right, short, or long, where that will be just fine and will leave you a putt or at worst an easy chip, a non-short-sided chip. Because you reliably hit a 5-yard fade, you're going to allow for it, which means subtracting that from the 13 yards. So, doing all this math, with the flag cut four yards off the edge, that means you aim four yards right of the flag. Because it's 13 yards total, subtract five, that makes for eight yards total, and then it's four yards off the edge, so you've got to aim eight yards right of the left edge of the green, and since the flag is four yards right of the left edge of the green, you've got to aim four yards right of the flag. So that was a lot of math. And this aiming advice is just a general rule of thumb. You may need to adjust for really bad trouble like bunkers, penalty areas, or out of bounds, but this method is a lot better than most of us do already. We see a flag and we aim at it. I mean, it's sticking up out of the ground like a big target. We just aim at it. Or we just aim for vaguely center of the green. But with this more detailed target picking based on averages and math, you can confidently know that you're aiming in the correct place and let your natural fade go where it needs to. And you'll be totally okay with where it ends up. If you hit it 13 yards left of your ultimate aim point, you'll still be on the left edge of the green. And you'll have a pretty close putt, only 4 yards. And if you hit it 13 yards right of your ultimate aim point, then you'll just have a long putt. And the infinite amount of variations of 13 yards long, 13 yards short, you know, 8 yards long, 3 yards right, whatever. Anywhere in that giant circle, that 76, 76 feet wide circle, long, you know, diagonally, anywhere in that circle needs to be placed where the miss will be fine. So... The first mental step was to pick a target 
So you can see how that mental step requires physical actions. Now, it's a lot of small steps within that first step, but if you're doing this enough, if you've done this enough over months and maybe years, it will become second nature. For instance, I can do all of this in about 20 seconds. I don't know, 10 to 20 seconds. I shoot the yardage. I do some quick math based on the environment around me. Then I, I choose, okay, from 171, I need to be aiming this far away from the edge of the green. I've got it. So it's pretty quick. So you you the the purpose is going through this part of the the process and as you'll find out going through the whole process over and over and over and over again to where it's automatic. So now let's move on to step 2. Committing to that target. So now that you've picked your target, you have to start transitioning into thinking less about the details and more about trust. But first, you have to commit to the target you've chosen. We touched on this briefly in step one, where you can let your natural fade go where it needs to. This is a version of commitment. Believing that you've chosen the right target and loving that target. And then loving the club you've chosen to hit to that target. And then loving the shot shape that you know you're going to hit. All of that is commitment to your target. This isn't some major mental thing you have to do. It's more of what you don't have to do. You don't have to second guess what you've chosen because you've made a decision based on real data. This gives you the confidence to freely commit. This mental step in the pre-shot routine comes with a physical action such as lining up the ball from behind, picking an intermediate target, or even visualizing the actual path of the ball like you see on, on professional TV broadcasts uh, like a shot tracer. You could visualize it. All of those are forms of commitment. So now let's move on to step three. We've gotten step one, picking your target, step two, committing to that, to that target, and now step three, trusting in your ability to hit to that target. Once you've committed to your target, you are now heading fully into less thinking and more playing. You now have to internalize your target in the feeling of being committed to it. You have to trust that you have the ability to hit this shot. Trusting you have the ability doesn't mean lying to yourself or being falsely positive. It simply means knowing you can hit this shot because you've done it before. As we know from a previous episode of The Mental Golf Show, you get confidence, aka trust, from two sources, past results and preparation. So you know based on either hitting this shot well in a past competitive round or repeatedly in practice that you can hit it well now. You know it. You know it deep down. You have that internal trust. Now, this mental step in the pre-shot routine usually comes with, a f with physical actions like practice swings or maybe even a mantra like let it go or one that my friend Casey once told me, let your talent take over. Whatever it is needs to be a simple reminder that you know what you want to do and you're going to let your body do it. Now let's go into step four, let it go with a quiet mind. Once you've committed to your target and trusted in your ability to hit the shot, it's now just a matter of stepping into the ball and letting your body perform what you've prepared it to perform. For some, you have one swim simple swing thought. For others, it's just the sound of your mantra in your head, let it go, or let your talent take over. 
Or for others, like Bob Rotella likes to say, you have a soft gaze at the ball, thinking about nothing in particular other than sending the ball to your target. No matter how this manifests, it's important to not be overthinking or doubting. If you're thinking about too much, you won't let your body do what it knows how to do. And if you're doubting, you will introduce where you don't want the ball to go into your mind, which crosses your mental wires. As a general rule of thumb, your body is pretty good at listening to instructions from your brain. You give the body instructions, it'll do its best to make it happen. This makes those instructions very important. If your brain tells your body, right there is where I want to send this ball, with a clear picture like visualization, then your body will know exactly what you intend for it to do and will be much more likely to do it. But if you confuse the body with instructions of don't hit it in the water or please don't slice this one again or we're playing really well, we don't want to mess this up. Your body isn't getting instructions of what you do want to happen. So your body will over or undercompensate for where it thinks you want the ball to go. This results in controlling, guidey, or slower swings. You can sometimes get away with these, but more often than not, they end up in trouble. It's important that we step into the ball and pull the trigger with a quiet mind, or at the very least, one simple swing thought. An important note about this step, if you are overthinking or doubtful over the ball, back off regroup, and step in again. Don't pull the trigger until you have a clear picture of where you do want the ball to go. And now finally, step five, accept the results with zero judgment of yourself. This might be the hardest one for most of us because we have this picture in our mind of where we want it to go. When it's a bad shot, it's hard to accept it sometimes. So you hit the shot and the ball is on its way. At this point, there's nothing you can do about the result. Once you've made impact, the rest is left up to uncontrollable factors. So it's essential that you be able to accept wherever it goes, good or bad. Why is it so important to be accepting? What you do after the previous shot almost always carries into the next shot. I'm sure you know from experience that when you're angry at yourself for hitting a shot the way you did, it usually doesn't help you hit the next one very well you bring that baggage with you to the next one. This is where the vicious cycle of hitting a bad shot, then another, then another comes from. Before you know it, four holes have passed and you weren't focused on a single one of those shots. So being okay with wherever the ball goes is essential. Now, there's always exceptions and acceptance can look very different depending on who you are. Tiger Woods and Dustin Johnson have extremely different versions of acceptance. You might even be tempted to think that Tiger isn't very accepting of bad shots at all because of how emotional he can get. But the thing about Tiger, as emotional as he can be after a bad shot, he is probably one of the most accepting players there has ever been. No one is able to leave the past behind and get fully focused on the next shot like Tiger. And this comes from his form of acceptance. And just as all the other mental steps come with a physical action, so does the acceptance step. 
however you need to do it, whether it's being fully okay and completely calm after the result, like Dustin Johnson, or a quick flash of emotion after the shot and giving yourself 10 steps to stew on it, but after that it's over, like Tiger, you need to be able to let the shot go. And through all of this, not judging yourself. You can do this because you've done the controllables. You've worked hard, you've gone through your routine of picking your target, committing to your target, trusting in your ability to hit to your target, and then letting it go with a quiet mind. You can accept because you went through your routine to the best of your ability. So you can see how having a consistently good mental routine leads to having a consistently good physical routine. Checking all of these boxes, all of these mental boxes, leads to checking the physical boxes. So let's go back to our pressure scenario from the beginning. Now that you have a good mental routine in place and you've worked on it in practice and on the course for weeks or months or maybe even years, you are prepared for any situation. Now, when you're on the last green of the tournament, you have a process to go through. You're not even sure where you're at for the tournament because you haven't looked at leaderboards all day. You've just been focused on going through your routine on every shot. That's been your priority. This last putt is no different. You know it's for birdie, but really in your mind, it's just another shot that has a target that you're going to pick. So you work your way through your routine. First, you need to pick your target. You pace off the putt and see that it's 20 feet and get a good look at the break from the other side of the hole. On your way back to the ball, you stop and see what the slope of the putt is. You get back to the ball and put your line exactly where you know it needs to be because you see your target clearly. Or if you're a player who doesn't use a line on your ball, you, you set your ball down, but you can visualize, you can feel where the ball needs to go. That's your form of picking your target. Now, you need to commit to your target and trust in your ability to hit to your target. You step back from lining up your ball and you visualize the ball rolling on the line that you chose. Or you, you see it and feel it in, in your mind's eye, whatever it is. You see it very clearly rolling all the way into the hole. You are subconsciously giving your body very clear instructions for how you want to roll the ball. With the clear picture in mind comes with it the firm belief and confidence that you have the ability to do it because of your past preparation. So you step up next to the ball and make a couple of practice swings feeling the stroke that it will take to send the ball where you want. Another version of, of transferring that into trust. You put the putter behind the ball, you take one final look at the hole with a soft gaze, and with a quiet mind, you take the putter back and you hit the putt. At this point, the rest is out of your control. If it goes in, great. If it misses, that's okay too. You gave it your absolute best. You can fully accept the result because you know you did everything you could control. This is what it means to have a good pre-shot routine. Okay, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Mental Golf Show. If you liked this episode or you think someone you know needs to hear this kind of thing or needs work on their pre-shot routine or 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 they just have an extremely inconsistent pre-shot routine they don't know what they're doing they always do something different i would love it if you shared this episode with them or or some past episode of the podcast that you loved share it with someone that you know needs to hear it 
And something I'd really love to see is the next time you play or practice and you are working on something mental related that you've heard on the podcast, tag the mental golf show in the post that you uh, post on social and tag the mental golf show. The mental golf show is at mental golf show on Instagram and Twitter at mental golf show show everyone that you're working on things that will actually make a difference in your game. And if you have any questions for the podcast uh, on social, use the hashtag mental golf show. Uh, Let's use the hashtag ask mental golf show to keep it separate. Hashtag ask mental golf show to ask a question about the podcast. Maybe get your topic featured on a future episode. I would love to see what you guys have to say or questions you have. And if you'd like to work one-on-one with me as your mental coach, feel free to reach out to me anytime at the email address foundationsgolf.com. That's an email address, foundationsgolf.com. No, that's not an email address. Foundationsgolf at gmail.com. <laughs> that the email address is foundationsgolf at gmail.com. Okay. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Mental Golf Show. I'm Josh Nichols, and I'll see you guys next time. Till then, go through that routine. <laughs>